Wow. I don't think we've ever seen the full bumper there. I'm expecting that. Yeah, expectations. Expectations really affect your experience. Expectations are pretty important. How many of you have ever uh, stepped to the counter, you poured something and somebody else poured something else, and you grabbed their drink, expecting it to be what you poured, maybe lemonade, and you put it up to your mouth and you, you drank milk, right? You ever had that? You know, your expectation is that it's going to be lemonade, and you drink milk, and you think, oh, my gosh. Put it down. It's shocking. It's strange. Expectations are pretty important. Expectations matter. I was just talking with a guy from Miami uh, earlier this week, and they were ready. They were expecting the hurricane to hit. And he said, you know, it was kind of strange. It was just a non-event for us. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You're disappointed that the Hurricane 5 did not, Level 5 did not hit the coast in Miami. Expectations, though, expectations. When you, even if you're expecting something bad, there's a certain measure of disappointment that can enter in. Expectations are huge. In this series, we're calling level. There, there are two values or two tensions, a, a tension between two values, really, that, that we live within. This morning, let's consider what should we expect in the kingdom of God, given the fact that it's already here, but it's not fully here, right? God has, has started the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is already here. Jesus' death on, and resurrection, he, he is the first fruit. Jesus' resurrection, he is the first fruit of that new kingdom. And we who come after him, we're part of a new kingdom. And yet that kingdom is not fully realized. It's not all the way ushered in yet. So what should we expect in this already and not yet period of time in the kingdom of God? From the word of God, Matthew chapter 13. This is one of many parables within Chapter 13 of Matthew it has a number of kingdom parables. Matthew 13. We're starting with verse 24. The parable of the wheat and weeds. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. That's what a parable is, a comparison. Compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Sowed good seed. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, and then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time... I will tell the reapers, 
Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you set our expectations according to your coming kingdom, your kingdom that is here already but not yet fully. Set our expectations, we pray, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you want to move to Canada in this election cycle. Doesn't it come up almost every time there's an election, somebody says, I'm moving to Canada, right? Moving to Canada. I heard Russell Moore, a really brilliant uh, thought leader in the Christian church, great author. Russell Moore said he feels homeless. He feels homeless in terms of where he can place his vote. Now, you know, as, as a pastor, I, I cannot talk about politics in this sense. I can't, I can't instruct anyone how to vote. And so uh, as, I, as, I, as I begin to surface the need for us to think about the kingdom of God, I, I want you to think about where you stand in terms of this election. I've had a number of people asking me to give direction about this, and I, I cannot give direction in terms of party politics. It, it, will th- it will threaten our nonprofit status. Did you know that? I can't speak about party politics because we are a 501c3 organization, nonprofit, that is supposed to be separate from party and, and, and from politics in that sense. But, but it's what we're dealing with. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in in this restaurant in Orlando, and I'm, I'm listening to people debate the issues, and, and everybody seems to be sort of wrestling with this. Where do I stand in the midst of all of this craziness? There's no place to stand, it feels like. I, I keep laughing about this image, but I, I was reading a, a, a guy who was speaking about, he was, he was writing about this uh, election cycle, and he said, you know, what do we do with this? It looks like a, just a big dumpster fire. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me, but it is. <laughs> and so in the middle of, of, of what we're in the middle of, what do we expect? Given the fact that, that the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet fully, what, what should be our expectations? You, you, you know, I mean, because we get all worked up about it. We really do get worked up about it. And crazy stuff starts to happen. We start thinking crazy. For example, after the last debate, did you hear about the guy with the red sweater, right? Have you heard about the guy with the red sweater? There, there's a guy who asked, he la- asked the last question in the last debate, and, and he was wearing this Christmas sweater, right? And, and rather than people making fun of his Christmas sweater, he, he's become, he's gone viral, right? I mean, he's become all the rage because he explained why he was wearing his Christmas sweater. It was because he was supposed to wear this olive suit, but he got in the car and he had put on a lot of weight and he split his pants. And so in the middle of this debate, here's this genuine person. Here's this voice of authenticity. Here's this, this sane moment, this reality check. And, and all of a sudden, people just latch on to him and say, maybe he could be president. 
how do we, where do we stand in the middle of all this without just being so irrational? Suddenly just, all of a sudden just needing in some therapeutic sense to, you know, just, just hang our hat on the guy, the random guy with the red sweater. Where do we stand? What should be our expectations in the already and not yet of the kingdom of God? Three expectations. First, well, let, let, let me just lay out for you what the three expectations have to do with, all right? And, and, and what it does is it helps, us, it helps us know how to be and where to stand, right? These expectations, they really do matter. We need to have expectations about the weeds and about the wheat and about what God's doing in the midst, all right? So first, the weeds. What should we expect about the weeds? We should expect the weeds to be weeds, what are the weeds? Well, you can see in verse 36, uh, Jesus goes on to explain because the, the disciples asked Jesus, now what does this parable mean? What, what does it mean? Well, the parable is a, is, a, is a concrete picture of abstract ideas, right? That's why Jesus taught in the parable. Sometimes it was to conceal some things so that he didn't make himself a target too early, right? But Jesus was bringing a revolution as he is to bring a revolution in your life. He was bringing a revolution. And he didn't want to make himself a target before he had a chance to get this revolution going. And so he taught in parables, but the parables, parables are sort of a metaphor, a picture, a concrete picture of some abstract ideas. And so, and so the weeds represent something. The weeds represent people who are living their life apart from God. And we should expect the weeds... To be weeds. Now think about that for a minute. Sometimes we, we think, well, this is America, right? And America is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be the promised land. It's supposed to be the kingdom of God. Wait, wait a minute. Now you've just confused two things. And see, Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst, but the kingdom of God is not of this world. Now, maybe our expectations are off because we've confused the United States of America with the kingdom of God. What do you expect out of people who are living their life apart from God? What do you expect of them? You should expect them to be weeds. You see, what's happening here is there's a... There's a, a word, in the King James, it uses the word uh, zizania. And zizania is, is a weed that looks like wheat. But the difference is it doesn't produce any grain. It doesn't produce fruit. And so zizania gets, gets planted in this farmer's field. So you got the wheat, you got the weeds, and you got the farmer, right? Wheat and the weeds and, and God who's, who's at work tilling the soil, who's at work cultivating, Right? And this zizania, this, uh, this wheat-like plant, is planted alongside genuine wheat. Uh, the problem is, is that it, it takes a while for wheat to, 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 to you know, begin to produce its fruit, its grain. And so, and so the idea here is, is you don't want to just spend your life constantly trying to separate the goats from the sheep, Right? You don't want to spend your life judging the people around you all the time, trying to figure out, are you really one of us? Who is one of us? 
And so the expectation then should be that the wheat and the weeds are going to be growing together. And that we, we don't have to be in charge of that. Our job is not to try to separate out who is the wheat and, and who is the weed. But we should expect the weeds to be weeds. Now, now someone will ask me, well, well does that mean that, that, that some people are just born weeds and they can never become wheat? Well, I understand that question. I understand that's, that's often what we're concerned about. We're, we're concerned about whether or not you know, something like predestination means that God just wants some people to be weeds and, and other people to be wheat. But you have to realize that this is a parable, okay? A parable. It's a parallel story. A uh, parable means parallel. It, it means that it's a story that represents certain ideas. And you can't make the parable do too much. You can't allegorize it. And, and, and try to, 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 to make it say more than it means to be saying. What Jesus is saying is, is not just simply, is not whether or not or how somebody becomes a genuine believer. He's not talking about that. It's a matter of perspective. It's saying, well, we don't know where somebody is in their story. You don't know that somebody who's gone off the rails is, is you, know, you don't know whether their life is, is going to produce fruit. Later on, it may be producing fruit. You can't just count somebody out. Now, think of it that way. You never count someone out, ever count someone out. You don't say, well, they're not producing fruit, so they must be a weed. You don't know. You never count anyone out. No one's ever beyond the hope and the promise of the gospel. And so you see how powerful and how important the parable is not to overread it and not to make it do everything and solve every question. But what's he saying? He's saying the wheat and the weeds will be together. And, you know, sometimes we think... Well, you know what? I, I'm really upset about the way that, uh, the, 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 way that the culture is, is drifting away from, from the word. And, you know, once upon a time, it used to look like this. And back when, in my day and age, it was, you know, things were much better. And, you know, I, I think of Mark Twain. Mark Twain says, you know, I'm getting so old that, you know, when I was younger, I could remember the things that happened and the things that didn't happen. And now I'm so old that I only remember the things that didn't happen. <laughs> and you wonder, well, where is this all going? And, 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 and people get very upset about how things used to be and how things are. You know what? There's a certain cycling. There's a certain ebb and flow to history. Things get better. Things get worse. Things get better. Things get worse. And sometimes people start to guess, well, it must mean that Jesus is coming back. And so then they begin to try to read the tea leaves and they say, well, that's what's going on. And you know what all that is? It's escapism. It's like, you know what? We can't stand, we can't handle the dumpster fire. We're going we're gonna to start hanging out with a guy with a red f- sweater. We're going to start trying to figure out, you know what? Jesus must be coming back tomorrow. Let's sell it. You know, and, and Instead of engaging in the moment, instead of being what we're supposed to be, and that is wheat, we begin to check out and separate from the culture. But the wheat and the weeds are supposed to grow together. Why? Because, well, the second thing we need to expect. We expect 
weeds to be weeds, we should also expect wheat to be wheat. And that means wheat produces fruit, and it, its fruit is also seed. Let's take a look at what Jesus is talking about by, by wheat. What, what should our expectations be in the already, but the not yet, in the kingdom of God, that's already here, but not fully, what should we expect of the wheat? We should expect it to bear fruit. To bear fruit. Now, you think, well, what's fruit? In, in the New Testament, one, one of the places we hear about fruit is in Galatians 5. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit. There's another place, and let's, let's simplify this. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. You think, well, what's so important about, about fruit? Well, here's what's so important about fruit. Let, think about hope for a minute. The, the, the fruit of hope. Your life is to produce the fruit of hope, for example. And you see how important hope is. It begins to feed your faith. When you see how important hope is, it begins to feed your faith. When you see how important hope is, it begins to feed your love. We are hope-shaped or hope-wired creatures. Now, picture this. Two people. Now, I'm going to prove to you. We're hope-shaped creatures, hope-wired creatures. Let me prove it. Imagine two different people with a very uh, insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable task of filling up a barrel with sand one grain at a time. All right? Okay, I want you two people to go fill, that you fill this barrel with sand, and you go fill that barrel with sand uh, one grain at a time. I'm going to give you a li- little, uh, you know, tweezers, and you can just take one grain at a time, and I want you, by the end of the year, I want you to have this, these two barrels filled. And, you know, person A, I'm going to pay you $20,000 to do this. All right? Person B, I'm going to pay you $20 million to do this, all right? And halfway through the year, you go and have a conversation with these two different people, and you talk to the guy who's, who's, who's the $20,000 wage, and, and he's saying, this is the worst thing. This is awful. This is terrible. I cannot stand this. I mean, I don't even, how did I get in this situation? This is awful. And you talk to the guy who's going to be paid $20 million in six months, and he's like, this isn't so bad. I mean, it's a little tedious, but it's not so bad. Right? You can see that now. You can see that. And now I've painted my own parable here. A picture of a concept, and the concept is this. We're hope-shaped, hope-wired creatures. And instead of having this idol that we're going to get just the right perfect person to head our country and everything's going to be okay, what what can you do? What are you called to do in this already and not yet? You see, we make an idol. When we lose our hope because of an election and we want to move to Canada or hang out with a guy with a red sweater, follow him, make him president, when we enter into this hysteria, we become just like the rest of the world without hope. Where is your hope? Is it in the election? Is it in politics? I'll see, what we've been given transcends politics because our problem is bigger than anything that politics can solve. 
Our problem transcends psychology. It transcends our emotions. It transcends our social structures. Our problem, our problem is human nature itself. And, and so as, as wheat, we're called to bear fruit that speaks into the human condi- condition right where we are. And so we need to expect wheat to be wheat, to bear fruit. Bear the fruit of hope, for example. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Well, in bearing fruit, it's also a seed. I remember my, my grandmothers lived into their 90s, and a couple of times uh, they, would, they would ask me a tough question. They would say, why does God still have me here? What good am I doing? Let's think about that for a minute. A guy named uh, Bob Buford wrote a book called Halftime. And after making a a pile of money, he realized that it really wasn't doing for him what he thought it would do. And he realized that all the success in the world was not going to put him in a place of peace and contentment, of faith, hope, and love. And he realized he needed to move from success syndrome to significance. Now, what does it take to bring seeds of significance? Whether you're 19 or 90, faith, hope, and love are the seeds. So often we think, I just, I I want things to work out. I want things to be right in the country and in the world and everything so that I can feel at peace. But maybe your role is to bring faith, hope, and love to a troubled time. Maybe your role is to plant seeds for the next generation that no president and no political party is going to save us. Maybe this election cycle, this dumpster fire that someone called, is just simply to turn us again to the place where our real hope lies. To plant seeds of faith, hope, and love for the people around us rather than investing in an idolatrous present without a future. So we need to expect wheat to be wheat. And finally, we need to expect God to be a farmer. We need to expect God to be God, to be a farmer, and that means he's going to be patient. I love that old expression, uh, the oxen are slow, but the earth is patient. Patience is called for in the already and not yet. As we stand, if we're going to be level in this period where the kingdom of God is already here, but not fully, we need to be patient. Because fruit comes later, Fruit comes later. Fruit takes time. God says, your ways aren't my ways. My ways are not your ways. God is at work doing all kinds of things under the circumstances, in and through the circumstances. Do you think God is up there wringing his hands going, oh gosh, we're down to these two? just didn't see this coming. Now what? What do I do? What do I do? You know, the Jews expected Jesus to be a conquering king. 
the Romans were occupying them. You know, they, 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 were, they were in their kingdom, and yet they were exiled. Doesn't that sound familiar? We're called to be resident aliens, right? The already and the not yet is something we see over and over and over again in Scripture. You wonder, why, why did, why did the, the Israelites go through all this stuff? And why were they exiled? Why did they have to live in Babylon? Why did Babylon come to, to nest right in the middle of Israel then and occupy them? Well, here it is again and again that God is at work doing something in a kingdom that's not of this world. And you can see the Jews' expectations were for, for, for someone powerful to come along and set everything right. And, and here comes Jesus, not a conquering king, in the sense of what they expected, but a suffering servant to bring a revolution where it really matters. Where does it matter? In the human heart. Not in parties, in politics, alone, but in the human heart. And he's still bringing that revolution today so that we can affect parties and school boards and churches communities we should expect God to be God to be a farmer to be patient with us and not just swoop in to wave some kind of magic wand because he's doing something so much bigger than what we can measure one of my favorite authors put it this way he said this and that's code for C.S. Lewis because I didn't want to say his name There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is... Immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. We are all, every one of us, on the road to becoming either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. See, God is at work in the kingdom that's already, but not yet. And if you think he's dependent upon circumstance, then you're missing the kingdom of God and what he's at work doing here and now so that we can live with faith and hope and love for a kingdom that's already been given to us. That we can bring more of it So that when we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we can pray it with integrity, knowing that we're walking that prayer in faith, hope, and love.